this, this new series called When We Gather, and it's, it's, it's really about, it's for the church. So what do, what do we do as the church, and uh, why do we do it? And I couldn't think of a better passage than this Hebrews passage. Um, just been devouring this whole book in, in getting ready for this, and just very excited about it. Um, uh, Bess just read it uh, to us this morning, and is, I'm going to uh, read it one more time, though, in, in, in just a minute. But as the, as the Hebrews, the Jews, somewhere near Greece, uh, we don't know for sure, we don't know who wrote the book, um, it's uh, wonderfully anonymous because it's, a, it's lifting Jesus Christ so high in this book. And I, possibly the author didn't put his name there because he didn't want anything to distract from Jesus. And uh, so it's an awesome book. But as they're hearing this for the first time about 2,000 years ago, probably in small little churches near Greece, um, the, the Christian life was difficult and dangerous. And we see that uh, right here in Hebrews. We see it not too far after the passage we just, that Best just read. Uh, Rome tolerates uh, sects, they call it, S-E-C-T-S, you know, these uh, renegade groups, it, as long as they keep the peace, but they're getting, they're getting ready to really upset the entire world. In just a couple of years, uh, the, the Roman general Titus Vespasian is about to march on Israel and into Jerusalem and destroy the city and destroy the temple. And it's just a, it's a rough time. Hostility has been pouring down on, on these believers from, from Jews that didn't like the, the gospel of grace from their own families. They'd be often ostracized and sent away just because they were now uh, believing in the reality, not the shadows and symbols that, was point, that, was, that were pointing to Christ. But they'd be ostracized from their family. Um, the government always ready to, to, to put a lid on it. And some were running away. Some were running for the hills. You can see that in the book. We'll see it in just a minute. In fact, that's why Paul is writing our, te our, our text this morning, because some are, are starting to do the exact opposite thing that we need to do as believers in Christ, as, f as brothers and sisters. Um, they were doing the exact opposite thing that we, that we need to do as our own world becomes more difficult. If you have your Bibles in, in Hebrews 10, a little later after our passage, verse 32, it says this, Recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated, for you had compassion on those in prison and joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. So it sort of implies that as some of them were being put in jail for their faith, that others would go to visit them, and, and then now you're calling yourself out as a believer if you go visit the person in jail, right? They're starting to lose their possessions. The property's being taken. Since you yourselves knew that you had a better possession and an abiding one, verse 35, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and, and per, uh, preserve their souls. Fast forward now. 2,000 years into the future, 
Spruce Pine, Burnsville, Asheville, Charlotte, the United States of America, and persecution is at our door. It's coming. I anybody else uh, been watching what's going on in America for the last, uh, just now even few years? It has accelerated in such a way that is mind-boggling. I would never, I was talking to Don on the way here, I would never have thought, I, kn I knew it was coming. It was obvious in the 70s it was coming. It was obvious in the 80s it was coming. It was obvious in the 90s, but it has accelerated in the 2000s at a level that it was not in those previous decades. It's coming. There's a satanic wave of evil running through this country. It's routing our families. It's aborting our future. It's increasing suicides and mass murder. Just read the statistics about, about suicide. We're at a 24-year high on suicide. And, and more and more, the believers were, are being called out and blamed for it, which is it was very ironic. The price is going to be high for following Christ. Sometimes there's a price even in our little towns, in our mountain home. There's a price. You might remember a fight five years ago, which was lost over defining marriage at, biblically as between a husband, a, a man and a woman. You might remember that. Remember Chick-fil-A got, I think that was the first boycott against Chick-fil-A when that happened because the founder had come out in favor of that biblical definition. And uh, I think it looks like that boycott was not effective, right? <laughs> Chick-fil-A took off. Okay, but you know, it was effective all over the country. There are small businesses that were shut down everywhere. You remember all the stories. Um, there's a price. There's now a price. Um, there are whole companies now in the United States, do not bother to apply if you're going to be honest and open about and passionate for Christ. Don't, don't bother to apply to a number of companies. I remember this in 2014. I, I clip articles. I've just been chronicling this dissent and the speed of it. In April 3rd of 2014, this was, um, I think this was Reuters. Yeah, Reuters. Mozilla's chief executive, Brent, Brendan Ike, has stepped down, the company said on Thursday, after an online dating service urged a boycott of the company's web browser, Firefox. At that time, Firefox was the number two browser. Because of a $1,000 donation that he had made to, prop to support California's Proposition 8, which defined marriage as between a man and a woman. This is five years ago. And as you know, the people of California voted that in. And then the California Supreme Court struck it down, saying it was un unconstitutional. And uh, because of that, the, this boycott started up, and uh, his, the chief executive of Mozilla was made to step down. He lost his job. And that's the case now. Honestly, I can say that I come from corporate America. Some of you know our past. And I can tell you that is, that's the case, that, you know, the higher you go up in an organization, the, the more the public litmus test is applied because they can't dare have anyone that could affect the value of their company or stock uh, exposed in public as not aligning with society. So he lost his job. Difficult days are coming. And the author of this book, this anonymous author that's holding up Christ, um, he is, he, the answer is, is simple in his mind. It's, it's the unbelievable grace of God through Jesus Christ. And we're going to see, I think, we've seen this before, but this is the coolest, one of the coolest expressions of God's grace in the entire, entire Bible. It is the why we do what we do. It is the why we gather. The, the why we are to hold fast. The why that uh, we are to assemble ourselves together. 
Um, and we're going to see that in just a few minute, minutes. Jesus, in this book, he's lifted up high. He is preeminent. He is the one that for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. And then he sat down at the right hand of the Father to be our intercessor. So that's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to see in, in verses 19 to 21 our privileges in Christ, which is the why we follow, why we gather, why we serve. And then we're going to see our speci- some of the specifics of our calling from Christ, what we do and how we respond to that. So first, our privileges in Christ. Look at verse 19. And our first one, immense privilege, is complete forgiveness. And I, want, I hope this sinks in this morning. It sank in a couple of, I've been studying for about a month on this passage, and a couple times along the way it would really just sink in, like, what is complete forgiveness? And how can I live when I know I am completely forgiven? It, it, it is so freeing. Therefore, brothers, verse 19, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. For thousands of years, the, all we could feel as human beings is shame of, of our sin. Another sin was coming and another failure and more hiding like Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, and then there was only this duty that could be done to atone for sin in the short term. In Israel, of course, it was the high priest's the system and the sacrifices in the shadow temple. But you know that that priest, they would tie a rope to his foot. Why would they do that when the high priest went into the temple? Why would they tie a, a rope to his foot? Casey died in the, in, in the he, did, he did something slightly off that God had said, don't do this. And he could literally die in the presence of God. But now he's saying, listen, that's over. We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Someone said, you know, you, most of us would not run into the office, the, uh, the oval office of the United States, right? We'd have enough respect. We'd say, oh, no, I wouldn't dare just rush into the president of the United States, right? We can now with confidence and boldness run right into the throne room of God and be accepted as his children. We have confidence. The word means boldness, outspokenness, frankness, bluntness, assurance. We can go there. We can stay there. We can play there. We can work there. We can live there. We live in the presence of God. And and why? What changed? Why suddenly, after thousands of years, can we be this bold? Hebrews, we'd back up a couple, one chapter in Hebrews, Hebrews 9. He has appeared once for all to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So not temporarily, not annually. Hebrews 10.10, a little earlier in our passage. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Christ once for all. This is a great word, and I had to go, I had to go look. What are the tenses of these verbs? Is this something that's going on this minute? Or is this something like, you know, I'm, I'm confessing my sin and God is still forgiving me? Or is this something that was completed in the past with permanent results? And the answer is it's what was completed in the past. We were purified. We were consecrated. It's a past action with permanent, lasting effect. We remain holy even though we struggle with sin. Does that make sense? I'm, no, it doesn't make sense. But isn't that incredible? That's what God says. We, we remain holy even though we struggle with sin. Hebrews 10, 14, by one sacrifice. Love this. He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. There's the ongoing part. 
He's made perfect forever those that are still working it out because, wow, do we have sin in our lives and God is, is dealing with us on that, isn't he? But your standing is made perfect forever. There's no shame before God. There's confession, but there's no shame before God. It's forgiven. And that word being made perfect forever, mature, completed, accomplished, consummated, done, fully initiated. Sin and its effects totally removed so that we're still sinners, still in the process of being made perfect practically, but positionally we are absolutely consummated and done in the eyes of God. That's, that's amazing. Is there anything like that in all the world? I tell you, there is nothing like that in religion. And maybe some that are here this morning that you can, you can be doing the religious thing even in a good Bible preaching, gospel preaching church, right? There could be some here this morning, and I think that was me for a long time, all the way through Bible college. You know, doing the duty thing, maybe it was, maybe it was because God was drawing me in overtime, and I, I didn't really know, have a passion for him yet, and I didn't really know him yet, and I wanted to ultimately, so maybe I just didn't want to get too far away, so we'll just go through the, the, the rituals and the, and, the, and the liturgy or whatever you call it. This is the, the, one of the most incredible things, it, Romans 8.1 there is ne therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I remember listening to a message by C.J. Mahaney at a conference, and he, he, he pointed out something in 1 Corinthians I had never seen before. First Corinth the Corinthians are an unbelievable study. I have a commentary that you, you, maybe you'd be interested, uh, where the, he's talking about uh, Corinth as uh, the Californians, first and second Californians. That's the best way to look at Corinthians, okay? And uh, because read through 1 Corinthians, and if there was a problem you could have in the church, they had it. Right? I mean, it's right at the beginning. Wow, you're dividing. You're deciding uh, uh, that's the group that's going to follow Peter. Peter, you know, he's our guy, okay? And here's the guy of Apollos, and some of you are really spiritual, and we're, oh, we're just following Jesus. They were all divided in the church right off the bat. They were, when, the, when, we, when they met to have their... Uh, the Lord's Supper, and of course, they had a much bigger meal usually when they did that, and there were people that would literally run to the beginning of the line, eat all the food, and then the people coming behind didn't have any at all. They were the ones that were totally confused on the gifts and were jumping up in the service, crowding each other out to be able to give their Holy Spirit gift in front of everybody. And he said, boy, I'd rather you, you're like the, no you're like the noise of loud gongs. They, they, this book, and I'm, I'm not doing it justice, they are so messed up. Never forget C.J. Mahaney saying this, look at the beginning of Corinthians. Look at how Paul addressed, he's writing this book because of all this mess in the church, right? Look how he opens the book. He says to them, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, made perfect forever. Called to be saints together with all those in every place, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. And on and on and he goes. And then he goes into all the problems in the church. But they've been made perfect forever. That is a, a staggering thought. In fact, when Paul laid this out in the book of Romans about the gospel of grace, his accuser said, that's crazy. People, if they really believe that, that they, you know, they, they, they might 
just sin to sin because they know it's covered by the grace of God. And Paul so know that was a problem that he's, in verse 6 he said, are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? God forbid. How can we still, how can we who died to sin still live in it? We don't want to live in sin. We have the Holy Spirit. It makes us very uncomfortable living in sin. Um, we don't want that. But Paul knew that this is such an incredible thought that if, if you thought about it for a minute, you realize God is not going to condemn me for my sin if I am in Christ Jesus, if I'm his child. It's freeing. Martin Lloyd-Jones, Calvinist, famous preacher, took 12 years to teach, preach through Romans. That's a, incredible. He said this, The true preaching of the gospel of salvation by grace alone always leads to the possibility of some people misunderstanding it. If my preaching does not expose it to that misunderstanding, then it's not the gospel. What does gospel mean? Good news. Good news that Christ, God through Christ did something that we could never do for ourselves. And because he did it, we can be perfect forever for eternity in the eyes of God because of it. Hebrews 10, 16, just before our passage, I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds, their sins and lawless acts. I will remember no more. As far as the east is from the west. What a privilege in Christ. Complete forgiveness. It's got to be one of the fuels for why we would gather together and why we would love each other and why we would worship him. There's another privilege, though. Look at verse 21. On, and I call this one ongoing relationship. You could say it so many different ways. A 24-7 dad, defender, provider, protector, that we're not just brought into the family of God, adopted in, but um, he's walking with us. He's in heaven, seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. Therefore, brothers, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, interesting, this word great is mega. You know, we get that. We hear about mega all the time, you know. This, this is something over the top, exceedingly great. It's not like the shadows that the people would have been familiar with. They would have been familiar with a, a flawed uh, human uh, priestly system with all kinds of sin of their own. And we see it in the world around us today, don't we? Um, they, they would have they remembered a system that goes, has to keep repeating itself over and over again, confession and confession and confession. I remember reading Martin Luther's book, his biography called Here I Stand. Uh, he talks about before he, he led the, before he stepped up to lead the Reformation and, you know, nail the 95 Thesis to the door in Germany, that as, before he became, before he was saved by grace, he'd be confessing his sin to a, a human being, a priest, and he would pre confess for hours and hours and hours and hours. And then the guy would start to go away, and Martin Luther would remember two more or three more things, and he'd bring him back. And finally, the, his confessor got so mad at him, he said, Martin Luther, um, God's not mad at you. You're mad at God. You know, he was just going on and on and on. There's something very different about this high priest. First John says this, My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, and we do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the, the righteous. You've heard that many, maybe in the past, that word in the Greek, uh, paraclete, parakletos. Uh, an advocate, he's, John, it's a legal word. Now, we have, we have uh, in, our, in our assembly, in our congregation, we have a prosecutor, and we have at least one advocate. 
maybe more, uh, defender. That's the word here. It's one who pleads another's case before the judge, a defender, an intercessor. Hebrews 7 says this, He's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. I maybe caught that phrase a little differently this time in my study, that he always lives to make intercession for them. Romans 5, if, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? So what God, what Christ is doing for us now is, is mind-blowing. You've heard, uh, how many of you have heard of George Mueller? George Mueller, okay, so he lived uh, more than a century ago in England, and he stepped out to do some things that he felt God was calling him to do that were of total faith because he didn't know how it was going to add up. He didn't know how it was going to be provided for. God put it in his heart to build orphanages, and he had the equivalent of only 50 cents in his pocket when he first believed that God had called him to do that. He had no money. Without making his wants known to any man but to God alone, and that will require faith. That's faith. That God is, uh, that uh, without faith it is impossible to please God. Um, for he that cometh to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. That's faith. To believe that if I bring my requests to God, he hears them and that he'll take care of them. And I don't even necessarily have to tell other people. Without making his wants known to any man but to God alone, George saw the construction of five immense buildings of solid granite capable of accommodating 2,000 orphans. So at the height of it, 2,000 orphans. Before his death in 1898, he saw to it that hundreds and thousands of orphans were fed every day for 60 years. And if you read his book and his, his biographies, you'll know that Often, they didn't know where tomorrow's food was going to come to take care of it. And God would wonderfully supply even tomorrow's food. One, per, one day, a person asked him, how can you be so calm in the, with such weight, so much uncertainty? I mean, a lot of us would be just worried out of our minds in a situation like that. And here's what he said. I rolled 60 things onto the Lord this morning. I rolled 60 things onto the Lord this morning. You can imagine that. Maybe you're doing, rolling some things onto God in the morning. I have to. I have to. I'm, uh, we're, we're, we're going through a lot. I have to. I, I can't even be sane. If, if I cannot roll five things in the morning that I just can't deal with and I don't have the solution, only God can intervene. He is my advocate he is pleading my case. He is sitting down in the throne room, marshalling resources for me. What an immense privilege. Job saw this in the midst of more trial and more difficulty than most of us will ever go through. Job saw this. He said, even now, in the midst of his trial, my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. My intercessor is my friend as my eyes pour out tears to God. On behalf of a man, he pleads with God as a man pleads for a friend. Job sighed. He could sustain through his trial and the difficulty because he knew God was, for him personally, interceding as a, as a friend. Staggering, awesome privilege. 
Our sin is not counted against us. Our advocate sits in heaven. We are so incredibly blessed to be called the children of God, aren't we? Now we move to our calling from Christ in this passage. So Paul, he starts there to these people that are struggling and starting to be tempted to go off and hide in isolation and just bail out. He starts there with our immense privileges in Christ. And now he moves to the, um, what God has called us to do in response, to draw near in faith, hold fast in hope, and assemble together to love. So look at verse 22. Therefore, let us draw near to God, to God is who he's talking about, with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That last phrase again is something completed in the past with forever uh, results. Let us draw near to God with, uh, with a true heart, real desire, not duty. Not assembling out of duty because it's the right thing to do, but assembling because we, we, we've got to chase God. So no matter how we feel this morning, no matter how often we failed, and maybe you're like me, sometimes I don't give myself permission to chase God at the moment because I'm punishing myself for my own sin. <laughs> for, for a couple of days of sin, I'm, I'm, oh, I cannot be in God's presence when, when he's longing for me to come. Let us draw near to God. It's a continual, it's a present tense here. It's a continual drawing near, chasing God. And it requires faith. You remember that in the very next chapter, what is Hebrews 11 known for? Anybody say it? The hall of faith. The hall of fame of faith. People that, whatever God told them to do, they would step out and do it, even if they couldn't see how it was all going to work out. Faith is, the author tells us, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's a, it's a, it's a belief so strong that God is going, to be so, is going to be good and faithful to me no matter what I'm going through, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold fast and I'm going to follow him. Uh, we were on a, a cruise um, a few weeks ago for our 35th anniversary. We went to Alaska, and uh, there was a, uh, we took a train ride in Skagway. Anybody been on that train in Skagway? see a couple people. And uh, they, we were coming around this bend through the mountains, and there was this really high bridge we were going to go across with all the wood trusses and stuff underneath it. And they're talking about this bridge that we're about to go over, and we're starting to notice that it's missing some of its supports, and some of the bridge is a little sunk down. And we're like, and we're like starting to panic that we're going to go across this bridge. And it's like, there's no way on earth that anybody on that train had faith that that bridge was going to hold... <laughs> And it turns out at the last second, the train veers off. It's a joke. That's an abandoned bridge. <laughs> but for a moment there, you know, but I, I, you know, one of, the, one of the illustrations I remember from the past about what is faith. Faith is trusting, committing yourself to something, trusting it. You know, couldn't trust that bridge, that particular bridge. But that's what faith is, that I so believe that God will do what he said he would do, that he is my advocate in heaven, that all my sins have been forgiven in his sight, and that he has nothing but my best in mind, no matter what I'm going through. I so believe that, I am so committed to that, that I will fully entrust myself to it and hold fast. That's faith. Let us draw near. Let's constantly chase God with real desire in absolute confidence that God is going to take care of us. Jump in. Verse 23, and we hold, that's drawing near in faith. Verse 23, hold fast in hope. 
let us hold fast, which means unswervingly, um, the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now I want to come back for just a minute to the, to the society that is crumbling all around us. You know, we're going to be tested. I, I really believe this, that we're going to be tested much sooner than I would have ever thought. It, um, very soon. I used to say, uh, we used to say that maybe not in our lifetimes, but in our children's lifetimes, and now I believe it'll be in our lifetimes, not just our children's lifetimes. It's coming. I think it's going to be, personally, I think it's going to be in the United States what it is in China already. How many of you followed the situation in China or even Iran with what it, the, the cost to, to follow Christ? We support a missionary there. And uh, he was allowed to get in because he, was a, uh, he teaches English in, in the secular universities. But then sort of stealthily, he would hold these classes uh, about what it means to have uh, what Christ did. And, why that, and his classes would just be overrun. And most of the people in his class would profess Christ become part of a new house church and be still continuing the faith many years later. And we've been watching it. So no, God is doing an amazing thing there in China. Maybe there are more, maybe the greatest harvest of the gospel right now is going on in places like China and Iran where it is the most difficult to follow. I read this article about, uh, uh, this was an article back in 2008, so about 10, a little more than 10 years ago. They were, uh, interviewing Voice of the Martyrs magazine was interviewing a, a Chinese sister who was standing up in this in this trial. She was holding fast, and uh, I was just mesmerized by it. She said this: One day, I went with my mother to a small, small church, probably nine Christians there. They had no Bible, no teacher, no pastor. This is ten years ago, okay, and it hasn't gotten any better. They had no Bible, no teacher, no pastor. When they prayed, I literally wanted to cry. A person asked me, may I pray for you? That was when I f really felt Jesus around me, and I really loved him. You know, sometimes it's not praying a prayer. Sometimes it's just falling in love with Christ and what he did for you. Whether the prayer came out, the prayer will come out many times thereafter <laughs> because you've fallen in love with Christ. I really loved him. I was 12 years old, she said. All of the missionaries from overseas had been kicked out by the Chinese government, so we heard from the older generation. They passed down whatever they had heard from the missionaries. In school, we passed notes with the words of the Lord on them. We never saw a Bible. Now, this is back in the 80s. She's looking back at two, in 2008. Okay, So there wasn't the electronics that you could, could have now. The streets were very dangerous, but there, were f there was a fire in my heart to study the gospel. First John says, these things have I written unto you that you may know the eternal life. Go back and read the book, because the book tells you then what the things are, right? The th what are the things? One of the things is love for the brothers and love for the word of God. That's one of the ways you know that you've been born from above, that you've got the Holy Spirit, that you have the love for the word. I found a whole real Bible, and I started copying it at 16 years old. I left home when I was 21 years old for almost 10 years. Wherever I went, witnessing for the gospel, I ate, slept, and did everything for the gospel. The believers in those places gave me clothes. In 1989, I was transporting Bibles from foreigners almost, uh, and had done so for almost 10 years. I was caught with 120 Bibles in my suitcase. They decided to put me in jail for three years. The first four months in jail, they just made me stand and face a wall all day long. 
from 5 in the morning until 10 at night. I preached the gospel facing the wall. <laughs> That'd be one way <laughs> to endure is just the truth of the gospel and the truth of what you've been studying and hearing. <laughs> After eight months, they sent me to a farm to work. They called it re-education through labor. My work was more difficult than the others because I was a Christian. They sent me to a shoe factory to make shoes. After 40 days, I worked in the kitchen. Then two months later, I became the leader of the prisoners. I'd love to know how that happened. I preached the gospel many times to the prisoners. The guards all ha had this stick with electricity that they used on me. During those eight months, all, all 80 prisoners in the shoe factory became followers of Christ. And as of the time of this article, she was still moving around, literally moving where she lived every few months because they were watching her and, sh and she knew that it could happen all over again. And as our society is crumbling, I, I think there's going to be a significant price to pay to follow Christ. How will you and I hold fast to Christ through the fiery trials that are coming? How are we going to do that? It's got to be because we love Jesus Christ. He who is forgiven much loves much, right? That's got to be the passion that's fueling our worship and our assembly together, that we love him. Moses loved him. Moses loved him. The words go to the next chapter, the Hall of Fame. One of the stories is Moses, by faith Moses, verse 24. When he was grown up, he refused to be called the, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Turned his back on all of it. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for his reward. He loved Christ. He loved God. So we, we hold fast in faith. And, and, and third and finally this morning, in, in what God is calling us to do, look at verse 24 and 25, we assemble to love. We assemble ourselves together, not just here on Sundays, but in small groups, in our home groups, uh, throughout the week, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. Apparently, some were beginning to fall away. It was tough. It was a price to be paid. And, and some of them were deciding that it wasn't worth it. Maybe that's happening to us at times. Is it the love of something else more than Christ that keeps us from committing ourselves to each other? The word not, ne not neglecting to uh, meet together, the word means um, it's a, to complete the collection. To complete the collection. God has called out a group of family in this area, and he, meets that he means for that family to stay together and to love each other and to encourage each other through no matter what, what comes. Maybe we don't do that because we're loving something more than Christ. Maybe it's a job Maybe it's a job that could be exchanged for one that doesn't prevent us from meeting together. To me, that's one of the most discretionary things. It's, it takes a while to change. It takes a while to change that, but someone asking God to provide another job so that they can, in fact, meet with the bro their brothers and sisters in Christ, God, I believe God will answer that prayer. Sometimes it's shame to be identified publicly because maybe that person's not quite ready. They're not mature enough in their faith. They're not quite ready to be known for Christ. Satan's goal is to separate us. 
we were watching, um, we watched one of the shows we like to watch. It's called Mountain Men. Anybody seen that show? The part I can't stand about that show is when they, when they catch something, like a, a coyote or a lion or a wolf or a, or a you know, elk or something, and then they gut it. Um, that's, I'm, I'm not good with blood. And, uh, you know, as you're watching that show, you also figure out how, uh, how a lion, a mountain lion, uh, attacks. Uh, a mountain lion um, looks to go after some, something that's by itself, that's wandered off from the safety of the group. And that, that poor thing is now helpless. And sometimes there's two uh, lions, or co- and if it's, if it's coyotes, there's multiple coyotes. If it's wolves, it's multiple. But they go after that, that, that thing that's wandered off by itself. And that's exactly what Satan is trying to do to us. And it's working. I've never been in a church that was more millennial <laughs> than this church. Okay? Uh, it's, it's awesome, you know, awesome what God's doing. Um, but I think you all know that this generation is struggling in a way differently than maybe all the generations in America that have come before them. And uh, they are, the millennial generation is prone to isolate itself, to wander off. A study came out this week, uh, or last week, it was by YouGov, said 30% of millennials say they always or often feel lonely. 30% said they always or often feel lonely. 27% said they have no close friend. 22% say they have zero friends. 25% said they have zero acquaintances. One commentator said this week, or last week about the study, loneliness seems to be a defining factor of the millennial generation, possibly the loneliest generation in U.S. history. And, and look what the author is saying here instead. Exact opposite of what, what we're to do. Our calling in Christ is to gather together. And I want you to see why. Look back at that verse. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, comma, not neglecting to meet together. The reason, that's one of the reasons that we gather together so that we can love each other and we can encourage each other. The word stir up means to provoke, incite. That's one of the things I think, Zach, we all got it. How many got a text from Zach this morning? Okay. Why? Why reach out to someone you don't know? Because they, you may be the love in Christ that they need this morning. That's why we're doing it. We don't have to be alone in, in this life. Let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. In 1 Corinthians, it's interesting. After Paul goes through what, you know, he's talking about to a church that is really, hey, we want to be known for our, our, our prophesying, our healing, our, all these things, all these flashy, invisible gifts Paul was going through and saying, you know, when, it, when it's all said and done, the only thing that's going to matter is faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Prophecies will end. They'll pass away. Tongues are going to cease. Knowledge, it's passing away. For now, faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. That's one of the reasons that we, we're gathering together throughout the week and here this morning. Don't run Draw near in faith. Chase Christ. Don't, don't hide. Hold fast in hope. Don't isolate. Assemble together to love. Let me conclude this morning, and I have no idea what time it is. I hope I haven't gone too long. 
love, love is offense. Love is offense. It's not defense. Love is observation, deliberate observation of the needs of others, and then stepping forward to meet those needs, sometimes in obvious ways, sometimes behind the scenes. That's love. It's offense. Can't do it passively. One of our uh, other obsessions that we liked, that we just, we got several things recorded. You probably do too. Um, how many of you have seen that show, um, Married at First Sight? Only a couple in here, okay? I, f- I found this to be, as, as, you know, someone who likes to know why we do what we do, I find this to be a fascinating show because it, it brings two people, the first time they're meeting each other is at the altar. They get married, and then they, they, they follow them with cameras for 60 days, and they have all kinds of people, including a pastor in Chicago, trying to give them advice about how to love, how to choose to love. And that the one of the counselors keeps telling that love is a choice. Love is a choice. Uh, it's fascinating. But right now in this season, there is a guy named Matt. He's a really tall guy. He's a basketball player, and he's, he's married this, uh, and I forgot her name. And it started great for this couple. Uh, they were just very affectionate and just enjoying each other's company. And then it went downhill really fast because Matt stopped coming home in the evenings. You know, it was, you know, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, then 10, then 11, then 1, then 2. And slowly but surely, he was drifting back to what he did before he got married. Like, married was just some, marriage was like something he added to his life. <laughs> it didn't, like, take over his life. Uh, how many guys here think that's going to work? <laughs> you, you, what chance does a marriage relationship have if the husband doesn't come home to partner in fellowship with his wife? None. I mean, that is your new life, right? You do life together. Love is offense. It's not defense. It's spending time together so you can learn to love. And that's what the Christian community is. It's a choice to love. It's offense. It's gathering together to, to stir one another to love and to good, good deeds, to encourage each other, to encourage each other to hold fast as society around us begins to crumble and, and the price is higher and higher to, to be a follower of Christ. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the, the day Christ's return drawing near. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for amazing, uh, encouraging truth in this passage. I thank you, Lord, for every person that's here this morning. Um, Lord, you, you are calling out a, a sweet fellowship here, people that really love you and are loving each other. There's so much uh, incredible things going on here, Lord, where, where people are loving each other. And I just pray that you would help us to excel even more at it. I pray for those that are here this morning, though, that have never known what being made perfect forever is about. They have never experienced that unbelievable forgiveness, the end of the penalties and consequences of sin in their life. They've not experienced that because they've never thrown themselves on the bridge of Jesus Christ, the bridge between us and God. I pray that this morning that they would have heard the good news of the gospel in this and that your spirit would work in their hearts. And Lord, I pray that as we uh, worship now through the word and as we uh, 
worship you, Lord, through communion. We just thank you again for all that you've done for us, for not only paying the price of our sin, Lord, but even, even today at this very moment, our names are on your mind in the throne room of grace. We, we thank you for the immense privilege. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.